0: sexy people Welcome back to the Greg Proops Film Club Here at Los Angeles Most enchanting confabulation Of cinema The Los Feliz 3 here uh, The American Cinematheque Once again we gather in the hipster Neighborhood to shed our apathy and our, uh, our ennui of life and to delve into the emotional boiling uh, uh, abyss that is French film uh, if you've never seen how many people have seen a French art film before okay right on seven of you that's so awesome <laughs> Um, the rest of you, you're going to have a great time. Uh, um, if you've never seen uh, French art films before, this is a film from what they call the New Wave. Um, the New Wave was a label that white guys um, gave movies. Um, I think you'll find one of the uh, um, most potent parts of the history of cinema is that white guys label everything that ever happened, uh, so that everything is labeled and centered around white guys' point of view. And uh, as you know, I've often said uh, the history of American movies is really uh, an an enormous undertaking to show that the history of America is made up of only Scottish-Irish people. (laughs) Um, Thank you. that's why we have so many awesome uh, Scottish Irish stars in any case a French film a little bit different and this is a a film made by a woman and uh, my wife Jennifer um, is the curator of the Greg Proofs Film Club and there's not that many rules for the Greg Proofs Film Club you may have noticed you didn't have to join anything or or sign up for a membership or carry a card or anything like that Um, being super sexy is the only first rule thank you and uh, the other rule of choosing films Uh, uh, for the Greg Proofs Film Club is I don't choose them Uh, I've chosen a few and uh, uh, they they haven't been as successful as the ones thank you I chose uh, Return of the Living Dead by Dan O'Bannon one year for my Halloween film yeah you heard one loser dude yelled out on that one you guys Uh, Jennifer of course picks movies like Eyes Without a Face or Ugetsu for Halloween really elegant Uh, I Walked With a Zombie something really compelling and and, uh, chilling and uh, emotionally stirring, and I picked something that was schlocky and fantastic. Uh, so, uh, Jennifer has a, a fantastic and uh, exquisite taste in film. And so uh, we were discussing it today, uh, her and I, uh, uh, that we've shown, I think maybe four or five pictures directed by women uh, uh, over, the, over the course of the Greg Proofs Film Club. And tonight is a film by uh, a director named Agnes Varda, uh, who, if anything, I think, really, is, um, I wonder if this is clean. Would, it, would you take a chance at the Las Filas 3? Let's see what's in here. Mmm. That's vodka. I'm just gonna, if you don't mind. Mm. Because it is a French film and all. And France is located, let's see. If you're looking at the map, right here, uh, just above Africa on this map. And uh, if we open it up, well can we? Oh look, there's really not that much inside, sadly. This is where there should have been something awesome, like a surprise boot or a, a severed limb or something, so that we would all be like, "Oh my God, what happens next?" Um, I'm going to pour the water in here because that's the kind of uh, bold, uh, spirited pirate I am. I'm going to take it on faith that the people of the Los Feliz three have washed their uh, their glassware here and I'm going to drink out of that salute as we say Um, so Agnes Varda is I think uh, if anything underrated uh, one as a director and two as a French new wave director Uh, it you know it's Alan René and uh, Jean-Luc Godard and Francois Truffaut and um, all of that that giant gang that became so immensely popular in the 60s and 70s Um, and of course all of their films are are marvelous not all of them but many of them and insightful and often from a male point of view and there's a lot of violence and sort of existential angst and whatnot and I don't think Anya Varda really approaches it that way she's often referred to uh in that fantastic way that men have as the grandmother of the new wave yeah thank you the grandmother yeah like all the men like Godard was some sort of irresistible hunk that you couldn't wait to get your your paws on Uh, um but, but uh, uh, when, when a film, uh, a genre or, uh, or a movement of film is started by a bunch of critics, you're going to have trouble to begin with. Uh, but she actually precedes uh, New Wave in, in, uh, in, in a lot of ways. And as a very humanistic director who takes an approach to film... Normally, I never even talk about the films, but somehow I am tonight. Uh, Who takes an approach to film that I don't think many directors have ever even tried in the history of cinema. How do you mean, Greg? Well, (laughs) she actually cares about the emotional life of her characters. Often, her pictures are, are set in poverty. For instance, Vagabond, which is a story from many points of view about a a homeless woman, or the Gleaners, which is about people who uh, pick up refuse on the street in Paris and and eat it and take it home. All the wasted things in our lives that we waste, uh, these people glean off of uh, uh, refuse piles. And it's a movie about their lives. And uh, this picture tonight isn't necessarily about poverty, uh, but I... Here, to give you an example, these are a couple of things Agnes Varda said about her filmmaking. Um, Well, first of all, she said about tonight's picture, which is a a Chloe uh, Sank set, if you want to get real hip, the portrait of a woman painted uh, on to a documentary about Paris. So you're going to get a real Awesome work at Paris in 1961. And if you go to Paris, and we're going later this summer uh, because we wanted to go when it was unconceivably hot. Um, yeah, although with global warming now, really, it doesn't matter where you are. I was in Idaho a couple of weeks ago, just bragging, and um, uh, in the French town of Boise. And it, in was Idaho, it was uh, enormously hot because, uh, uh, as you know, according to a lot of uh, icky, angry white people, the kind who wear Viking helmets and storm the Capitol, um, when their team loses, uh, there is no such thing as uh, global warming. It's, it's a hoax, uh, as, so many, as so many things are, like justice and fairness and things like that. Um, Uh, but we're going to Paris and if you go and you really ought to go and don't be I'm never one of those people who like Paris used to be good you know I'm from San Francisco so I am the most snotty provincial parochial arch judgmental effeminate assholes you'll ever meet in your life and that's why I'm perfect to host a film club in Hollywood Um, I wasn't asked to by the way I thought I'd up and did it Um, no one went oh god we have to have Greg host movies it was more like I think you should um and what could they say really uh, you know because men wear baseball caps so what redoubt do they have <laughs> what are they going to do lean back in their cap and go let me think about this <laughs> Yeah Um, Which brings me to the writer's strike, but briefly, uh, no, we're going to talk about Paris and then, but I've always felt that the sign of the, if you want to know who's an enormous douchebag in Hollywood, if you walk into a meeting and there's a gentleman wearing a a Boston Red Sox cap, you're going to be in trouble. because they're not going to have a joie de vivre and an open-minded spirit, the kind that you're hoping for, like a a pony whose flanks churn ceaselessly as they roam down the pampas, accepting new ideas about LGBTQIA people and and about women's points of view. They're going to have that sort of Harvard lampoon, um, if I don't want to fuck her, why would I put her in this movie kind of attitude. Sort of like if you were casting the show The Idol on Max. (laughs) Um, That sort of attitude, because the Boston Red Sox cap screams yes means no and no means anal is what it says. You might as well wear a T-shirt that says, I have roofies, because that's what the Boston Red Sox cap is saying. Um, Why are you so angry at Boston? I'm not. Boston's perfectly fine. If you're a white guy named Doug, um, you know, right on. Uh, Look at how much you've done. Um, You've been angry that New York's better than you for so long. And uh, you yell out uh, things like socks and stuff like that. So look at all you've accomplished. Uh, What was his name? The comedian who smoked a lot. Dennis. He was from there. See? Look at the cultural icons you've given us. Um, Boston is, uh, of course, not entirely white, but uh, it's part of the... You know, ever since white people attacked the Capitol because a Jew and a black was elected to the Senate and a black woman went to the White House, I have really eschewed a lot of the things white people want to do. Um, I, I don't want to participate in white people's reindeer games anymore, and I don't approve of the things white people like. Uh, therefore, I don't want to be involved. Things like, you know, artisanal grilled cheese sandwiches and whatnot and goji berries and kale and master cleanses and fixed gear bikes and rescue dogs named Cobain and unironic unironic cassette listening um, Boston the, the, the group and the city <laughs> Kansas the state and the group uh, but if you go to Paris I'm not one of those people who says that I'm of the mind that uh, until you've been there you, uh, it doesn't exist right I'm from San Francisco if you've never been to San Francisco and I presume a lot of you have been especially if you're uh, Angelenos uh, because people from there's a one-way rivalry between San Francisco and Los Angeles that emanates from San Francisco and then peters out about Kowalinga, uh on the I-5 It never quite gets to LA uh, and people from San Francisco are like oh LA it's a chalet you know and then people from LA are like San Francisco a riot that's like near Ventura um, so, there's really no rivalry. I think people from here like uh, San Francisco, and, and quite right. San Francisco has, um, uh, you know, we have culture and, and um, snottiness and, uh, and horrible tech bros that have bought antique buildings and turned them into their personal porn playground. So, look at all the things San Francisco's done lately. <laughs> My goodness, Peter Thiel lived there <coughs> until he realized that gay people were all around. Um, so I think it, it, what you'll see, what I'm getting at is um, how Paris looks in this movie. Hi, you guys. How Paris looks at this movie in this picture is largely how the center of Paris looks now. So if you go, you'll find uh, that other than the Pissois, uh there are still newsstands and, and uh, bicycles everywhere and, and people dress well and stuff like that. Um, I find uh, over the years uh, that I've um outgrown a lot of my comedic peers uh, I, I was doing a South by Southwest earlier this year which is a an enormously popular group uh, place uh, it happens in Austin which used to be a city and uh, yeah it, it got taken over by a corporation evidently called Texas and uh, uh, anyway South by Southwest happens there and a lot of white people come to really talk about how great their phones are and uh and I noticed when I was doing a a comedy show with my fellow comedians, all of them were dressed as if they were about to rob a convenience store. They all had like running suits on and tennis shoes. And I'm like, you're 50. No, no one's buying the Hello Kitty backpack at this point, dude. Thank you for the four people who laughed. Everyone else is angry. It's nice and air conditioned in here. You guys be weepingly grateful. Uh, so yeah we're having a, a, a uh um, varda as i say approaches film the way few people do certainly not in a hollywood attitude um although i'm not certain what the hollywood attitude toward filmmaking is at the current juncture um evidently unless there's a superhero in it or you've seen it before or it's a toy from the early 60s <laughs> it's not going to happen um Thank you. You're my best audience tonight, dude. I want you to know that. Everyone else is like, I like superhero movies. I know. That's because you quit reading a long fucking time ago, you illiterate worms. Um, uh, As I've so often said, and I'll say it again tonight, I would like superhero movies if they ended any other way but two or five or ten or however many Avengers have assembled or whatever it is Uh, they have these amazing powers they can fly through the air they can see through time and space they can shoot lasers out of their uh, gonads or whatever it is they do they can turn lizards into you know lollipops or whatever the powers they have and then at the end they have a fist fight for half an hour (laughs) and I just don't find the fist fight as compelling as I used to when I was seven (laughs) So that's why I'm so glad you're all here for a French film that will be inconclusive and vague. As well as exploring a miasma of human conditions, for instance, love, death, boredom, sex, identity, uh, uh, self-worth, uh, um, the objectification of women. The woman is a very attractive woman who is a pop singer in the picture, uh, Christine Marchand, character um, Chloe, and she has hit records and stuff, and uh, that she hears while she's walking around. And by the way, <coughs> excuse me, if you think being self-referential is new michelle legrand who was an enormously successful composer in the films for a thousand years wrote the music to this movie and agnes varda wrote the lyrics to the songs and christine marchand sings the songs. so when you hear the pop music that our character chloe is the singer of in the movies she's actually singing them and they were written by agnes varda and michelle legrand um and michelle legrand went on to do a bajillion uh, scores of pictures. The reason why I think her ethos is different is she said, Nothing is banal if you film people with empathy and love. Everybody is so full of mystery, so full of beauty, so full of tenderness. I ask you, how can someone have that generosity of spirit and be a, in show business? I'll, I'll pause there while you consider yourselves. I think it's beautiful, and what a, a, a marvelous way to approach film. Um, you don't really hear when they do the interview for like uh, uh, what? What's the one that Michael Bay makes where there's toys and they put themselves together? Transformers. Thank you. Uh, and there, by the way, there's nothing trans about the Transformers. If they were Transformers, it would be a much hipper movie than it is, or series of movies or series of long toy ads <laughs> I've never heard Michael Bay when he's talking about the Transformer series go nothing is banal if you have a toy put itself together and then blow itself up in front of a rocket or whatever <laughs> uh-huh. everybody's so full of mystery so full of beauty so full of tenderness mm, you really don't hear that a lot in Hollywood Instead, you hear, we're going to rebrand HBO and name it after your Jewish uncle. (laughs) From now on, you can call it Max. (laughs) I'm intrigued by people and I love them, to be honest. I don't want to be a spy of the person I film. I want to be a friend. I want to work with a director who says that or anyone who says that instead of, um, Greg, could you dial it back a little? <laughs> I mean, wow, there's a camera on you. Um, so there's a strike on now uh, in town because um, evidently the people who own uh, the means of production of all the movies and television shows, on all of the magnificent streaming platforms that provide meaning to our otherwise mundane and humdrum empty existence, that we would walk through with a bell tolling sonorously behind us while the ravens gathered about us in a circle and a small dwarf laughed at us like an abosh painting. Without these fabulous streaming platforms like Disney Plus and Paramount What and not, not, and uh, Amazon Prime and all that. um, Apparently, the people who own and run those things aren't making enough money. (laughs) And, and I had no idea this is what was happening, the writers are taking it from them (laughs) so that they can go live off of Fairfax and go to (laughs) Cantors. You know, I really had no idea the writers were that clever, that they were going to move to an apartment in Studio City, and, uh, and be sad that Dupar is closed, and then take all of the money from Netflix. It's a terrible state of affairs. Why do you realize that the head of Warner Discovery was only able to go to Cannes for a week for a party during the writer's strike? I mean, poof, what are we, animals? <laughs> Um, his name is David Zasloff and it's said that he makes $250 million a year now I'm not a mathematician uh, nor do I play one on a popular streaming platform I was uh, developing a show called Mathematician in the Jungle that was a musical but it it got shit canned um, because they changed uh, they wanted to do do Idol 2 this time there's no buddy good Um, I'm just glad to show a movie like Chloe 5 to 7 when a show like Idol is on TV right now you guys just so we can balance out our lives a little bit and get back to what's what Um, if you make $250 million a year and you're in charge of an enormous show business entity that produces loads of as we say in the business content content right heaven forbid we should look for the poetry in anything i don't think when people go home at night and turn on their computer or their apple tv or whatever or even heaven forfend if you're my age a television and uh, mine of course is old-fashioned you have to pour water in the top it's a steam-powered affair (laughs) mine is like the flintstones there's an animal running in it and then i open up a door like this and it goes it's a living (laughs) and uh i don't think we all sit at home and go oh my god uh i love this show like whatever it is oh my god i'm watching lupin or game of thrones or whatever and oh my god uh, while i'm watching this all i can think of is are the stockholders worldwide receiving their dividends (laughs) Because I can't sit through this whole fucking episode unless I know that the rich people who've provided the funding for these things um, have, have, are even richer and have more summer houses and whatnot. Uh, and then I can go eat with my writer friends uh, with their baseball caps on uh, and, and watch them split a matzo bribe. That's Jewish food. So yeah, that was a laugh. <laughs> Um, uh, he makes 250 million dollars a year now again like I say I don't run a network so I don't know anything about show business other than I've been performing for 40 years and I've played all over the world and I've done pretty well I'm usually don't have anything thrown at me I have very few scars uh, from spears or glasses or anything being chucked at me while I was on stage and I've done television shows on a bunch of different continents and no one's ever stopped the show in the middle and like cut me off at the knees or whatever but having said that um, I think if you made 250 million um, maybe if you gave 250 writers a million dollars or 500 writers half a million dollars or a thousand writers whatever that figure is I don't do math well that that might be a way uh to push forward show business uh by actually paying the people who are writing the words that the sexy people say that we all watch that when we go to see avengers assemble so the avengers don't stand there and look at each other for fucking two hours and wait for a toy to put itself together or whatever and then they wouldn't know to go hey avenger you know go assemble or whatever because there wouldn't have been a writer to write the words hmm In other words, um, I think you'll find writing might be the basis for everything uh, that we watch and see, and therefore you might want to pay them. Now, by the way, uh, we did a show last month uh, here at the Los uh, Feliz Trois and uh, the writer's strike was on then too so uh, they're really holding the line this time you guys uh now i don't know how old some of you are i presume much younger than i um but show business has gone through several stages since i moved to los angeles um right after the war and (laughs) there was the zoot suit riots and then they built dodger stadium and you know all these things happen and then tv went color uh but uh and the talkies, of course. So many of us lost our livelihood that were from Hungary. Um but uh the uh after nine eleven Um, Before 9-11, if you were involved in television or movies and uh, something came up, they would go like, we want you to do this. And you would go, how much is it? And they would go, it's this much. And then you go, I would like more than that much. And then they would go, we'll give you a little more, but we won't give you all of it. And then you would agree. And that was what was called negotiating. Then 9-11 happened. And then it was, we'd like you to do this. And you'd go, this isn't very much. I'd like a little bit more. And they'd go, why don't you go, fuck an antelope (laughs) and then the writer's strike happened in 2008 and it was like oh we'd like you to do this and you go well this isn't very much at all in fact it's less than I was getting in 2001 when 9 11 happened and then they'll go your option now is to crawl across broken glass (laughs) all the way home until you lay on top of a bed of porcupines that's your option and so that's where we are now in show business um, <clears throat> if someone who can't write any dialogue and has no idea what people like to see can make 250 million dollars a year then I feel like someone who could think of something awesome that we all like to watch or maybe a new kind of character or maybe and I'm going to go out on a limb here a show that has a woman at its center and stay with me because this is going to get fucking crazy in a second a show that isn't centered about an ugly white guy right Um, that maybe they might want some of the the wealth that we accrue here whenever I hear someone say oh my god um, actors get paid so much or, I can't believe they gave $200 million to this so-and-so to do a thing. Um, here's how it works. Um, no one's getting $200 million unless the thing they're doing makes a bajillion dollars. No one's getting all of the many. Netflix doesn't go, here's $50 million to you. Oh, fuck, now what? <laughs> now we have to eat um, uh, ramen. <laughs> and stay with our friends on their couch until we get the show made because we gave away all of our money. Um, uh, people often say it about sports. Um, I know this is a movie crowd, so I'll explain what sports is. <laughs> it's a, a, a thing white guys like, they wear hats and, uh, they go to bars called ch- uh, Fridays and cheers and shit like that. And they go woo and whatnot. And, um, they root for these giant corporate entities that are owned by enormous corporation, white guys who get the towns that they're in to build the stadiums for them. And then they uh, have an affinity for them. Uh, and then they develop a love for them and they wear their colors on their head, uh, and, and promote that team everywhere they go and whatnot. That's what, if you didn't know what sports was, it's like, uh, trying to think of a movie that had sports in it. Game of Thrones, for instance. There's a dragon and whatnot. That's like sports. People will often say, if I was an athlete, I'd play for nothing. Really? You wouldn't negotiate for every goddamn dime you could get, no matter what job you had? Um, It's just a fallacy. It really is. And uh, emphasis on the phallus. uh, part in any case uh kittens mcdougall it's time to uh, set this ship a sail uh i urge you to watch some of anya svarta's other movies some of which i've mentioned here because i think you'll find her a refreshing dip uh, in the cinema pool and uh, uh i don't know what picture we're going to show next month because we haven't decided yet but of course you can find all of the greg Proops film club Uh, at gregproops.com and there's loads and loads of pictures there uh, that might give you an idea if you're uh, adrift and bored one night and you're sitting around and you don't know what to watch. We have lots of movies there and they run the gamut from Point Break which I find is a classic uh, and also directed by a woman who won an Oscar, uh, Catherine Bigelow, who is the only person in show business from my town. I am from San Carlos, California, the whitest place on earth home of the plain yogurt festival and take out the fruit the powerful taste is burning our tongue and the only other person in show business from San Carlos California is Catherine fucking Bigelow who directed the Hurt Locker and Point Break oh and Dana Carvey uh, but he went to a rival high school because <laughs> of that hot inner scene inner, singing, inner because of that hot rivalry uh <laughs> And so, uh, I um, thank you very much for coming out tonight. I urge you um, to keep your heart open, uh, even through all of this, because even though it's been a rough week uh, in some ways politically, and a lot of people will tell you that things are getting worse, things aren't. The fact that we have... A black woman on the Supreme Court, the fact that we have a black woman in the White House, speaks volumes about where America's at right now. Believe me, I am older than you. And when I was little, if you said there was gonna be a black woman on the Supreme Court and a black vice president during Nixon's first term, no one would have gone, fuck yeah, there is. That wasn't gonna happen. So um, lift your spirits to the sky, my darlings. You're here sharing our communal love of film. And tonight we're gonna watch a film-centered all about women and it's called Chloe 5 to 7 and I give it to you right now and I thank you <laughs>